All right, episode three of the Culture Connected podcast. Today, we have a special guest, a very special 914 episode for me, Kayande, and Nick, uh, obviously. But uh, before any further introductions, I just want to give a shout out to Mr. Emmanuel Yamoa, Yamoa35MM on Instagram, here with the, uh, with the lighting as well as the photography and the film. Kayande's in the background today, so I'll be kind of manning the ship and everything like that. Um, but without further ado, who are you, Mr. Mr. Nico Brim? Please, please tell the fans about yourself. What do you do? What are your passions? Who are you? Um, I'm an artist, you know, uh, I'm an artist. Music is my passion. It's my life. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good, good Yeah, start. good intro. And yeah. then, so we've obviously, we've known each other since high school. Yeah. Been a long time. Um, when you were in high school, what, when did you know you wanted to 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 do music? Um, I mean, that's a, that's like a that's like a compounded answer. Like, we I got started, time. We got time. Yeah, we just started. Same yeah. more. So I started uh, with music when I was real young. Like, I remember being probably like six years old, and like at the time, I had a voice. Like, I could sing. Yeah. So, like, came to my dad and my older sister. I was like, "Yo, I could sing." And they were like, "Can you for real?" I started singing. They're like, "Oh shit, <laughs> you can sing." So, um, I think that kind of like what what opened it and then I started playing the drums early like around like uh, 10 years old 9, mm-hmm. 10 years old I started playing the drums so when I started playing the drums it opened my ear for music and particularly production and different genres of music you know because you know drums and percussion are like you know the backbone of rhythm and yeah. all music really, you know so uh, I really I thought I was going to be a drummer which is crazy growing up I thought I was going to be a, a world tour drummer but then when I went to high school, uh, I, I I was also writing. I never said that. I would always write raps on the low, but I never had the balls to get in the booth and like lay down and hear it back. Yeah. And then I feel like when I got to high school, uh, that's really when like the passion kind of became like too much to ignore, like, you know, like push it aside. I was like, yo, like this is really what I want to do. You know, mm-hmm. and like my family, I was also pushing to the side because you know, like my family coming from music, I didn't want to deal with that pressure per se but man like you know it was it was just like a snowball effect you know like i appreciate music from so many different aspects to now be the artist uh i think it just happened over time and and how would you say your your network your family etc helped you in propelling you where you are in your career because you know me and you you know other people who are artists who some might be ahead of you some might be behind you but how, how do you feel like your network helped you get to where you are and you know today yeah, I think my network was, uh, it was uh, the leading by example and, and being able to see success and, and what a person's day-to-day looks like in order to be successful. You know what I mean? I think that that was the thing that I was able to observe day in and day out because one, it humanizes success. You know, a lot of the times when we think about people who are successful, we put all types of crazy, oh, they sold, they sold to the devil or these outlandish things because we can't really conceptualize somebody coming from the, you know, environments that we come from excelling and, and yeah. doing everything that they do. So I feel like my network, I was able to see it. And when I seen it, I was able to believe it and I was able to study it, you know. And as I continue to, you know, take from everybody's bag to build my own bag, I think that that was the biggest thing that, you know, helped set me apart. Gotcha. And then to, I guess, add a little bit of tension here, what would you say to maybe your, your biggest critique that you said, you know, maybe you used you know, your mother's network or 
um, your half brothers network to kind of propel you forward because you have people who are already in the industry. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, that's my brother through and through. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But we, yeah, we do have different guys. That's my brother wholeheartedly. I just want to say that. Shout out Just. Um, but I mean, if anybody feels that way, like, bro, like I was, I don't know what you want me to do. I was born into it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, what am I? So you, you lean into it is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but hear me out. Like, would you, to the person that says that, if you have a child, would you not want to help your child? Would you not want to be in a position where you could, you know, be of service to your child's goals, dreams, and ambitions? You know what I'm saying? I think that the fact that I was able to have a mother who was successful and supportive is, is a huge blessing. You know what I'm saying? And there's nothing I think to, I should be embarrassed about. And I don't think, I think that if that's what you're critiquing, that I think that that's just weird, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody has a grandmother in their corner that loves them to death. Everybody, you know what I'm saying, has somebody in their corner that loves them and uplifts them. And I, and if you're hating on it, bro, I don't know what to tell you. I'm nice. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely pro nepotism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, your parents, grandparents, etc. work for you to get to that position. Mm-hmm. Um, but more so just clearing up the misconception. Because yeah, yeah. some people would say, oh, you didn't want to use your family. Yeah. Some people said you did. So Yeah, you know, and you want to know, too, even with that, like, uh, my family, I never, I never, you know, relied on anyone in my family, you know? Yeah. And that's another thing. You can come to Mount Vernon. You could come to New show. You could just come to New York, period. And you could ask the people that have been in the spaces, that did the showcases, that did the ciphers, you know what I'm saying? That were making music, that were in the studios. I was there. Yeah. And I put in real pain. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I, I have years and years and years of doing this shit. You know what I'm saying? I used to cut school to rap. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think that, you know, if anyone feels like that's what I'm leaning on, you just haven't done your research. You know what I'm saying? Because I really, I really put blood, sweat, and tears into what this is. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are not in New York, uh, Mount Vernon, New Rochelle, which people mentioned, right outside of New York City. Yeah. People from Brooklyn, uh, we'll leave that for another episode. But, <laughs> um, next question would be, um, in your art, who are your biggest influences? Obviously, Nas is a big one. I'm sure you yeah, talked yeah, about yeah, that, but, but who else sure. would you say are big influences? In, in the music? Yeah, Nas was my first favorite rapper ever. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I, I definitely would start there. Um, I would say uh, I love Bob Marley. I love Bob Marley. Like, he's one of my favorites. Um, I love Marvin Gaye. I love Cole. I love Kendrick. You know, like, I think these are people that that shape not only how I write, but, like, the sound, yeah. the soundscape that I'm inspired by. Like, even Gil Scott Heron. You know, I have a lot of artsy, soulful people that I look to that definitely inspires my production, like, even the, the topics of conversation that I have. Yeah. But I would definitely say Nas. And even if it was, like, more rappers, I would say, you know, like I said, Nas, Cole, Kendrick, Nip, um, uh, Tribe, Fife, and Tip. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Those are those are my guys. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I would say those are some of the inspiration. And um, just for the, you know, the people who are tuning in who don't know who you are, kind of get into, well, A, your ethnic background, and also mm-hmm. what, what were you listening to growing up with mom and dad and sister and everybody? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, boom, right? I have a, a big family. I have a big blended family. I have three sisters. I have an older brother. Um, my older brother, I have, I have some extended siblings from him, about six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. So that, that's probably like 11 of us in total. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I come from a huge family. Um, I'm from Mount Vernon, New York. You know, uh, shout out New Road too. I lived in New Road. I also went to school in New Road. There are two towns right next to each other. Like you said, that's a yeah. whole other conversation. But 914, that's me all day. Um, 
you know, and I was a, a grandma's baby too, you know what I'm saying? My mom, my grandmother, you know, had a big hand in raising me, you know, uh, and growing up when I was with them in particular, my mom is a, is a hardcore hip hop head, you feel yeah. me? So I'm riding around my mom, my mom is playing Hell on Earth, my beat, you know, only book for Cuban links, get rich or die trying, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think my the, the, my affinity and my respect for for hip hop rappers is passed down to me from my mom. You yeah. feel me? That my grandmother is in love with Sade, in love with Marvin Gaye. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's in love with Marvin Gaye. She loves Isaac Hayes. You know what I'm saying? The Isaac Brothers and Gap Band, and you know that that whole era of music in the '70s. You know that's when she was in her 20s. Yeah. So I listened to a, a lot of that. Also, you know, and then with my pops, like, parents split up when I was young, so when I used to kick it with my pops, I would drive to his crib, and my dad was heavy into Neo Soul. Yeah. So it's a lot of Angela Stone, Music Soul Child, you know, uh, Montel Jordan, you know what I'm saying? Like, So all of that definitely inspired one, I like. And two, I would also say the music that I make. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, bro, they... They were always putting me on the shit. And then my older siblings, my older brother was like a dipset head, brother. What? My yo just loved dipset. He loved G Unit. Yo, when G Unit was hot, bro, we used to be in the in the room and we used to freestyle. And he would be 50 Cent. Yeah. I would be Lloyd Banks. And my little sister Maddie would be Young Buck. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. we would be, you know, I'm talking like seven. You yeah. know, eight years old or yeah. freestyle and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, so, you know, like, everybody around me, like, held music close and had a real personal relationship with music, you know? So yeah. whenever I would be, uh, whenever they would show me this music, like, I would cherish it also. Mm-hmm. It was like a bonding thing with my family. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, right around my dad, leather seats, yeah. mad hot in the summer. What? You know, CDs? Yeah, CDs. CDs. And if you had the... the, the the, the six CD yeah, holder, the, yeah, you know. Yeah, now you was hot, man. Yeah, you was hot. Or you would have the, the, the CD case. Yeah, with the binders. What, like, the was binder? Video games, Yo, so. what? Yo. Yeah, bro. And I mean, we're not even that old, but, you know, we just, we remember it from our childhood. So, yeah, I, I definitely remember that, bro. Yeah, so in, in terms of your music as well, what would you say has been um, the hardest, uh, you know, part of the journey um, in terms of, get into where you are, maybe from a creative process, you might have writer's block, you know, what, what, what's kind of, what, what was your most difficult challenge and what is one that is still recurring? Um, my most difficult challenge was being a perfectionist, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And allowing myself to be seen through the flaws, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh, with my family having their own, you know, public identities and, and all that stuff going on, it was, I always felt a certain pressure to not only represent myself, but to represent my family. You know what I'm saying? So like this over analytical approach to what I'm releasing and, you know, all of this stuff. And I had to realize like, yo, bro, you're human. You know, yeah. you keep looking for that perfect step. You're going to take way less step, you know, and uh, releasing that has actually like pushed me into this new wave of my career that I'm in now. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I think that that was like the biggest thing that I had to get over. And I think the, the only thing that, that reoccurs now, which is like a great problem to have, is choosing the records to release. I, I have so much music. You know, although I don't have a lot of music out, the amount that I record is insane. 
You know and what, what stops you from releasing? Like, it was that perfectionist thing that, that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? That put a hope on a lot of that, you know? And, but, but now that you're over it, why are you still not releasing? Oh, no, I'm about to. Okay. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. dropping in September. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have, I have two projects done, um, you know, before the throne was the EP I did in 2021. I did a collab project with Kai in 2022. I know nowadays people drop three, four times a year. Shout out yeah, shout out podcast. It's my brother right there. Um, but you know, I've done I've done a project a year so far. Looking uh, since the pandemic, you yeah. know, I'm looking to do two projects. Uh, you know, before the end of next year, you know. So, I you know the, the consistency is now, but like you know, it, it takes time. To build it, but I, we're right at the at the start of it. So. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think you're at a, a really good cadence. I, I mean, when we were growing up, you were blessed to get an album a year. Mm-hmm. Now they expect like two, three a year. Like yeah. you know, you're kind of burning these artists out. Yeah, the time to kind of yeah, replenish bro. and get your, your craft back. So, um, but you know, segueing into that, how was it um, going on tour with Rhapsody in, in four days? Man, um, going on tour with rap. Man, it was it was incredible. That was my first time ever doing that. Yeah. Um, I'm just running through some of the memories, yeah, you know. Uh, sure. So when I was on tour with rap, I, I did four dates. Mm-hmm. I think I did uh, New York. I did Connecticut. I did Vermont. I did Montreal. I did Toronto, and I did LA. I did six dates. Okay. Well, that, that's a that's a that's a good yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good amount. And um, what was so dope about the tour with Rap was Rap was coaching me through the whole tour. Like, she took my show to the next level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And what's was so ill about Rap that, you know, if you, if you have gotten to meet her, you know, everybody knows how genuine, you know, how thorough she is, you know. But it's like, uh, she's one of those people, she looks out like in a, a whole nother level, you know? I remember the first time I met her and, you know, from the first time I met her up until now, she has, you know, been like a real champion in my corner, you know? And when she put me on that tour, she was showing me to her fan base and I just couldn't believe that I was in these different parts of the world, bro. Like, I'm in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Never, like, I've never experienced that, you know? I've never been to Montreal, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, so, you know, to, to see the world and, you know, to taste all these different foods and travel and be with somebody that is genuinely looking out for me was it, it completely opened my world of like what I felt was possible for myself. You know what I'm saying? Because I was always like really ambitious, you know, but that took it to the next level. Like, OK, I, I, can, I can really do this, you know. And then um, when I went on tour with Corday, I was seasoned from, excuse me. When I went on tour with Corday, I was seasoned from the rap show. Now, great, this is only my second tour, so let me not talk like I'm fucking Janet Jackson in this bitch. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it definitely, I definitely had a lot more work to put in. But when I was on there with Corday, bro, it was nuts. Like, the, the energy at his shows, you know, he has mosh pit type of crowds, you know. And I did the whole Midwest and West on his tour. So we're in Salt Lake City. We're in Denver, Colorado. We're in fucking Tucson, Arizona. Seattle, Portland, you know what I'm saying? Like Minnesota, you know? So we're, we're in all these different places. And the the energy at every single show was so crazy, bro. Like you would have thought that they knew we were on 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 tour. You know, like we were just opening acts. Yeah. 
But man, like every single night, like it was sold out shows, people screaming and, and just showing mad love. And when I did this tour, I got to go on tour with Kai. So I'm on tour with my best friend. You know what I'm saying? And we're traveling, you know, living a dream. Yeah. yeah, bro. It's like, it's one of those things. Like it was a, it was a check off my bucket list. I yeah. always wanted to be able to have that experience. And, you know, we were driving ourselves. Yo, bro, we had to thug it. Nigga. On that tour, we had to thug it, bro. We, shout out Carms, bro. We, but we got set up on Enterprise, bro. Mm. Traveling the country, bro. Driving. Like, just meeting him at dates. Are y- y'all know Coast Country? No. Nah, okay, yo, they're a, a, a group. It's four of them. And they can rap. Nigga, like, bars yeah. all day. You know, and they were on this tour with us and they were doing the same thing, bro. They were in the fucking van, thugging it, you know, but that that just added more to yeah, the story. Yeah, those like, character, yeah, bro. Those time, bro. Bro, it was three of us. We were just cycling. I remember from LA to um Denver was like fucking 17 hours or some shit like that, bro. Straight drive. And and when you're stopping, it's probably like 18, 19 hours, bro. But yeah, um, I, I, I went on. I went on a tangent. Was I, was I saying no, 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 no. Go ahead. I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. questions. Man. This is my first question. Facts. You mentioned um, that Rhapsody was coaching you through your tour, right? Yeah. So, what did you notice was the biggest thing you had to work on being in that space? What was the thing that she coached coached you the most most through? Ooh, I. Right, so that's a good question, bro. So when I came up to Rap's uh, tour, I was looking at a show at, and I was gauging them on how lit the energy was. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Like, if a show is just turned up, it's a great show. You know what I'm saying? So I was coming into her, uh, her tour just looking to bring this high energy, you know, this consistent high energy. And what Rap let me know is that a show is a experience. It is an it is an experience that you're that you're creating and cultivating for the people that are coming out to be with you. And that's not always just about high energy. You know what I'm saying? And she helped me understand how to tell my story on the stage. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. she she took it and she like she she offered me way more direction. You know? Yeah. Like bro, the first bro, the first show, nigga. I'm jumping around. I, I had Tim's on. Yeah, I'm jumping around. You know, my ankles are on fire. Yeah. I, I take my shirt off. I got no shirt on. I'm screaming, yeah, yeah, we do it. Now, what, was my show good? Yeah. Were people in the crowd fucking with me? Yeah. But uh, when we got in and we really designed the show and, and turned it into an experience, bro, it, it took it to a whole nother level. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? A whole nother level. So I think that was the biggest thing. She helped me know how to use my energy. Got you, got you. And then I'll, I'll uh, pivot the conversation with this next question and then I'll give it back to Pablo. So, in your opinion, right, mm-hmm. what defines a winner in in life or in, in, in the industry? And uh, how do you think that thought process or philosophy impacts how you make music or how you view others in their, their uh, artistic pursuit? Yeah, um, that makes any sense. You're not for sure. Uh, I feel like I look at a winner as somebody who, somebody who is ambitious, someone who is determined, and someone who is able to apply the things that they've learned 
I feel like when winning comes with L's, I'm not tripping off of someone who's taken L's before. That's that's part of being a hustler. That's part of being someone who grinds. Are you are you the person that gets met with the same roadblock? Are you not willing to change maybe your mind and reprogram how you think? You know, are you not someone who's going to sift through your emotions? Are you not someone who's going to up the level of consistency day to day? I think that those are the things that I look at as what I consider a winner versus like, you know, someone who's a loser for real. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you are, if I'm able to identify that in you, like it's respect, you know, like I don't need to see a hundred thousand. I don't need to see billboard. I don't need to see views. If I can see that somebody is ambitious, somebody is hardworking and someone applies the knowledge that they come across, I have respect for them. That is a winner to me. If you have those three things, you will always win. It doesn't matter right. what you're doing, you will always win. Bobby, and then one one last question concerning um, concerning the tour. And I'll give it back to the fan. Uh, two parts. So, how, how many fans would you say was like the biggest show on the tour with, with rap? On the tour with rap, I would say the biggest that we had then would probably be like two thousand. Okay, two thousand. All right, so I mean, sizable enough. So. So my two-part question is, one, mentally, how did you handle that? Did you freak out at all? Because you got to stay focused yeah, with yeah. all that, that noise and flux and, and you know, embarrassment you know, being in public. So how was that? And then two, were there any physical challenges or things you noticed different where you saw the next day? Did you have to drink more water? Like, you know, is, is, is performing, do you, you got to look like Buster Rhymes to, to, to succeed? Or can you, you know, can you be a slob a little bit? Or do you have to be in like a good physical condition to perform consistently and perform well? Yeah. yeah, I think if you're going to perform consistently, like you definitely have to carve out time to make sure you, you're in good shape. Bro. Like when I was on tour with rap, um, when I was on tour with rap, well, even on court days tour, like I'm, I have like uh, butterflies before I get on stage because I'm just I, like, I want the show to go well. Yeah. And because I care so much, I have, I have like those pre butterflies, but the moment I get on there, bro, it's like a, um, it's like, like a flip switches, right? What, bro? Yeah. Like I, I don't hear anything, bro. I don't think of anything else, bro. Like I'm literally just on the stage. Like I'm, I'm very, very, very present. Like for people who play sports, it's like you know, like when a when a, a ball player is just in that mode, bro. He's just cashing threes. And he's coming up the court, and he's he's already been here before. This is, this is clockwork, you know. That's how it is for me once I'm actually on the stage. You know, when I was on Corday's tour, I actually had really bad asthma that whole tour, bro. We got picked up in February and in March. We were traveling all around the country and, you know, springs blossom, you know, blooming a little bit earlier than in certain places. So I had really bad asthma. And I think it's important to make sure you're good, bro, because, you know, I had to use my fucking nebulizer a couple times, you know, inhaler wasn't cutting it. I was out there fucked up, Jess. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that, and, and that winning thing too started to cut you off. Yeah. So I guess in in that same aspect, it's like um, you look at the losses and including the tour. Like you look at any misstep, any shortcoming as as part of the saga, right? Like like Hell anything yeah. as character. Yeah, yeah, as character, bro. Like you don't like. I feel like if you look if you look too polished, bro, ain't nobody gonna buy into that. Yeah, from the 40 laws of power, you yeah. never appear too perfect. Bro, it's like, you know, it's like, bro, you, that's not why we listen to music. You know, we listen to music because these people, they they almost speak 
for us or they speak to us. You know what I'm saying? In such a, you know, unique way. And that's why we love artists. Like any any L that I took, bro, like there was a lot that I had to learn performing through the years. I used to yell on stage. Ah, da, 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 da. I sound crazy, you know, sound nothing like the track. But all of those uh, L's and just the things I've learned throughout my career, even like much bigger, major L's that I've taken, like, you know, I, I had I learned through those. And a testament to me being a winner is when I got met with those same obstacles, I overcame them. You feel me? So, so talk about your early stages of music creation, because I'm me being a, a little audiophile. I love knowing about who mixes your stuff and, and or who mixes anyone's stuff for that matter and, and where they, they started off. So at the beginning of your music career, because I know that you started mixing, mastering your own stuff and it was great, but yeah. hearing your stuff now, it's like, you know, shout out your engineer. I'll let you talk more about that. But yeah, like, yeah. yeah, how'd you get your start? And then how did you pivot into the next elevation, next level, next yeah. saga of Nico Bird? For sure. Um, so I started, uh, I had a, I had my, my laptop, I had a, a crack version of Logic that I found on some torrent website, <laughs> you know, and same, I, had a, I had a focus. I had the same one that you had, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I had the, the Scarlet 2i2, bro. I was, uh, I used to have a job in high school, so I saved up, actually, and I brought the road mic and the, the Scarlet as a bundle package. I brought it. I got into the crib, bro, and I was on YouTube just learning, like, the the basis of mixing music and, and engineering music because I didn't know who to turn to, you know. And, like, at that time, right, I'm getting into music, recording myself around 2013, 2014. So this is really, be- like, before all these home setups were just as accessible. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We're still kind of in that studio, you know, Pro Tools, everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything had to be, you know high-end, and so I, I really didn't know who to turn to to, you know, get the advice, but YouTube, you know, so I started off just recording myself, you know, I got real comfortable with recording myself, you know, uh, and I did that for years, bro, for years, uh, I saved up some more, I upped the equipment, I got an Apollo Twin, I got a Neumann, and I, I just kept on recording myself, and then I would bounce, you know, drive vocals, and I would uh, send them to the engineer, and the engineer would mix it at the studio. I, I always pull up to my mix session. Wow. You know, I pull up to every mix session and I'm in it with the mix engineer because mm-hmm. I know so much about, you know, mixing. I Even when I dropped out of college, you know, my, my mom was, was on my ass, rightfully so. You know, I just dropped out and didn't tell her. So I went to this uh, train school called ASL, Advanced Studio Learning. It's at, it was on at Quad Studios. Really? It was at Quad, bro. So I used to pull up to Quad, me and my boy Rashawn. I pulled up like five days out the week for like, eight months or something like that. And um, I would learn audio engineering and stuff. So, you know, oh, a big a big piece of, you know, my story with recording my music is me recording myself. Almost all the music that people hear from me, I recorded it. You know what I'm saying? I may not have mixed it, but I recorded it. I made sure my levels was right and I sounded the way I wanted to sound. But then fast forward, I started working with my guys, Lilo and Fleece. Lilo and Fleece are these engineers, they have a spot called Mix House. It's in New Rochelle. They are the illest engineers I have ever worked with. Yeah, shout out Mix House. They are the illest engineers I've worked with, bro. Like, they are they are students of that. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm a student of, of hip-hop and, and rap, and so we just mesh perfectly, you know? And since I've been working with them, I've actually been able to take a step back because they really know what they're doing and that we have a dope uh, synergy whenever we get in the lab, so... I recently transitioned into cooking in the studio. 
building off that. So with that time now, I wouldn't say it's really time because it was the same thing. You record your vocals, you send them out, mix, you went to the studio, uh, monitor the, the, the process. Yeah. But with that step back you mentioned, what are you doing now with that, that breather, with that breath? So you step back from being so hands-on with the process. And what are you doing now with that time, I guess, for lack of a better word? Um, with that time, it allows me to be um, a bit more creative. And it allows me to be more, um, I don't, I don't want to say so, more collaborative. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, letting them in on that made it easier to let in producers into the sessions and other features and stuff. And that's why like, I've been working with a lot more people now. It's different. I can't just tell every nigga to, yo, come to my crib. Like, you know, like, it, it, yeah, it, it's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah, part. you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all live right here. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and, so I was always mindful of that. But I feel like once, once I knew that, they could just handle the mix and I could trust them with doing that. Even when I'm in the sessions, I'm able to focus more on my writing. You know what I'm saying? Like now I can just, while they're doing that, I, I'm putting bars together and, and things like that. So we're able to like kind of knock out two birds at one stone. Like I'll go there and they'll be mixing one of the records. I'm like, yo, I'll come back in 30 minutes. You know, I'll get to writing. And, and that's just a relief, bro. It allows for, for more to get done. It takes a village. So I'm really happy to have them. And then, um, what, what would you do if you were to like start over right now? Like, what, what would you change from your initial process? You know, skipping some of the, the bumpy roads, um, removing things entirely. You know, Yo, you want to know, like, so I like, I guess, I guess I could say there's certain things, but the bumpy roads, bro, really prepared me. Mm-hmm. Like, they really prepared me, bro. Like, when I look back now, like, I don't know if at 21 I was as ready as I thought I was. Yeah. Emotionally and mentally. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't, I don't know if I had the capacity to handle God's plan at that time. Yeah. You you get what I'm saying? So I, that's how I feel about it. You know, if if there was one thing I would have offered to myself is don't be in your head as much. You know, uh, release more of the music and and allow the people to grow with you. Yeah. You know, but... um, that's that's really all that I would change, man. I'm I'm, I'm very thankful for for the journey that I've had. You know, although it's, it's had its bumpy roads, it has been nothing but progression. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And if it's progression, you know, in my own personal standards from where I was last year, but I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm I appreciate your your humbleness and your response. You know, it wasn't you know any crazy anything. Like, you know, you had the self awareness to know like I wasn't ready for that. You know, anyone, you know, coming out of college wants to go to the A straight away, but you yeah. may never be ready to play with the big boys. Yeah. You know, the fact that you admitted that, you know, says a lot about your character. Um, and then, I guess, kind of piggybacking off of that, for anyone new coming into music, you know, what would you tell them? Hmm. I think that, like, music right now, I think it needs less uh, entertainers and people who are in it for clout. Mm-hmm. I think that the people who want to come into music, I think you should ask yourself, if this is really your passion, if this is something that you love to do, do you think that is something that is aligned with your purpose? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think that people need to be, I think a lot of art right now is not really purposeful. Yeah. And I think it's evident that it's like that. And um, yeah, I would say to any up and coming artist, like you have to have a real conversation with yourself because at this point, if you're just doing the generic shit that we see in all day, bro, you're trying to win the lotto. Yeah. You got a million people scratching off right now in hip hop. You know what I'm saying? And some of these people do become lottery tickets. A lot of these people don't. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I think that it's time for for these new artists, anyone, you know, you can be a trap rapper. I'm not saying you have to be conscious or whatever. I'm just saying any artist that's coming in here, like, what is what is it that you're really about to share? What is it that you are about to represent? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's, I feel like it's really oversaturated now. It feels more so like something to do. Yeah. It's almost like dancing. You know, you go to the club and dance. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you a dancer. Yeah. I think a lot of people are rapping and releasing music, but they're not artists, you know? And, you know? I mean, yeah, don't get me started. Yeah, but, um, Niggas is whack, man. My um, I would, uh, I was going to ask you this actually after, but it segs perfectly. If you weren't rapping, what would you be doing? If I wasn't rapping, what would I be doing? Probably teaching music. Okay. That's, that's respectable. You, you truly live, breathe, love it. Yeah. Even if you're not in the, in the spotlight, you, know, you would still be a part of it. Yeah, I feel like one of my favorite things to to be a part of either as a teacher or as a student is exchanging knowledge and information. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the that's one of the most undermined um undermined love languages bro. Mm-hmm. For someone to share information with you that can help you get to the next part of your life. Yeah. That, that's that's tremendous. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like if I wasn't and even with my music, with my music being introspective in the way that it is. I think a lot of that comes from me feeling that way, you know, yeah. like, yo, if I could leave anybody with something, I'd rather leave them with something that it took me this long to realize. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, and, and when you say teaching, uh, the artistry, drumming, rapping, like what specifically? I don't know. I might, I feel like I could have did like a... <laughs> like I can see you as a drum teacher. You got to get a, another sleeve, though. Yeah, I would, have, I would definitely yeah. have to get another sleeve and I would need a fucking... Scoop nose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say if I was gonna if I was gonna teach something, I think it could have been like a like a, a hip hop theory, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a like a, a theory on that. I think that I would I would kill or something like that. Yeah. The next few questions are gonna be, you know, opinion. Um, anyone listening? I mean, yeah, you'll you'll you'll, you'll see. So, as someone who's in hip hop, yeah. Um, and I could go on for days about this, but obviously you're the, you're the star of the show here. Why do you think New York rap fell off? Is it because we don't support each other as artists? Or did we stray around, straight away from our sound, that boom bap sound that we came up on? Or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, or, you know, it's a cut, yeah, yeah. I think it's that there's also a third opinion that I have. I think that, uh, I, I honestly feel that New York set the bar so high for itself 100%. that um, the generations after were intimidated to reach for that bar. Yeah. So instead of feeling like intimidation, you turn it into fuck that bar. Yeah. Because now that's empowering to you mm-hmm. and your skill set. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? And it's like you see the tension between the OGs, you feel me, and the youngins rapping right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of that has to do with the OGs not embracing the new generation, you know what I'm saying? Because you you got to think their generation was different from the, from the generation prior to them, you know, drastically, you know, and even in that, you know, they were, you know, they were able to create and, you know, be great and do what they're doing. And I feel that for them to have been met with so much pushback on what they were doing and to 
meet the youngest with that same amount of pushback, that also creates a resentment, yeah. you know? And of course, it, it's it's double-edged sword because the youngest aren't really respecting you know, the OGs, you know, either. But there's way more respect from the youngins for the OGs yeah. than there is vice versa. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So I think that that was like a, a big part. Um, you know, like that that bar was just real high, you know, like when everybody already did it and then, you know, 50 Cent came out and, you know, the, when, when that East Coast gangster shit took over, you know, in the early 2000s and all of the beef, you know, being, yeah. being you know, front page, you know, yeah. like, People, I feel like, just started leaning into beefing with each other before they were leaning into like really helping each other and like growing. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Um, and I mean, not everyone was nice in the nineties when it was close to the pot. That's yeah. not, you know. But there's a lot of names in the history process yeah. from the East Coast, and and I see a lot of this conversation on Twitter, which is the echo chamber. But the people from the South are kind of overestimating their OGs in terms of the, the national appeal, yeah. and then downplaying the East Coast, and then the East Coast is kind of not giving the South their flowers either. Yeah. So. I think there just needs to be a camaraderie between mm-hmm. let everyone flourish for what it is, but let's keep it above. Mm-hmm. New York is New York is hip hop, hundred percent through and through. So, absolutely. Okay, I'm getting a little problematic. Paul was problematic. Last, oh, Pablo was problematic last episode. Yeah, problematic. So, I'm gonna reference the forty laws again. Um, there are two laws. The first one is never outshine the master, and then a different law is disdain the things you cannot have. Right. So, in that same breath. You talk about how you see how the generation recognizes their lack of skill in comparison to the OG. You didn't say it verbatim like that, but I'm saying it like that. So what would be your advice? Because like me, like I'm not the most lyrical dude. I've got quotables and I got some little zingers here, but I think I have a, an ability. So people with this ability but still want to make music, what would be their kind of guide to, okay, I want to make music, I want to pay homage, but I still want to make the music I want to make, even if it's not the most lyrical things. What can they do? I I feel like with anybody that's making music, I think you you should always acknowledge what your strong suits are and lean into them and, you know, behind closed doors, work on your weak shit, you know? Like, I I don't think that we should A and B ourselves to that generation. I think that the A and B is what has people like, fuck you. I think that if you know that you on some quotable shit, be the best quotable nigga out there, you know? Like, but I feel like the moment, like the death of joy is in the comparison. Yeah, exactly. You get what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, if you're, if if you know that this is what you're doing, you don't ever have to strive to be that. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't ever, Nas did it matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't matter how much you try to recreate it, no matter how many samples. Because time is a big component of music. Yeah. And even if you're not in that time period, you're just not going to get it. Yeah, uh, and, I, exactly. and piggybacking off that point, of course, which is the next question. I think with, with rap specifically, there's different types of rapping. There's your lyricists, there's your storytellers, there's your punchline guys. Yeah. Find whatever niche you're in and compete with those people. Don't compete with everyone. Because yeah. Biggie's going to outrap you and I was going to outrap you on lyrics. You could have way better punchlines and compete with maybe Wayne. I mean, probably not, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's just a that's just a point. Um, and then next question: as as hip hop celebrates its 50th year, not a single song or album has topped a Billboard 200 or the Hot 100 charts. Where do you think the disconnect is? We used to run it for yeah, so long, yeah. and now it's it's a, it's a quality of music. Like, I mean, at this point, it's no secret, bro. Like, we have so many people 
that are not from hip hop culture that are A and Ring this music. We have so many people that are looking at this shit as a, like a numbers game. It's like fucking gambling or like it's like FanDuel yeah. for these, you know, million billion dollar corporations. You know what I'm saying? So I think that because hip hop is in the hands of corporations, bro, like now that it's missing its soul. And I feel like now more than ever, like, you know, it's finally caught up. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, like it, this is this is not because there are not people rapping out there. This is the people who have the resources. They're choosing to back and fund people that aren't really that good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And don't really represent hip-hop culture through and through. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's, like, the biggest reason why shit is still fucked up. Yeah. And, uh, and shout out RDC World for this skit. But, you know, any sort of critique is just seen as hating or, you know... Niggas is sensitive, bro. Oh, D. They're oh, sensitive because it's like, yeah, you know how much times people tell me they didn't like something? Okay. It's like, yo, get back to the drawing board if you respect the opinion. Yeah. And if you don't, and leave it. brush it off and keep going. Yeah. The niggas get so worked up. And I mean, even for the, the lack of quality, I think there's a space for that because you have quality to compare to things. Yeah. Everything yeah. has its, you just need to play your role. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, the last two questions. Uh, I don't know how long we've been going, but you know, you just want to hear. Where do you think hip hop is headed with AI? I'm sure you heard about the, the Drake yeah. song with the music, with the weekend voice, and things like that. Where do you think AI? Do you think it is going to benefit musicians slash artists, or it's just going to exacerbate this outside of hip hop? A and R is picking people, and now I have a robot that I can just steal your voice with, and et cetera. Yeah, I, 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 AI to me, I'm not the biggest fan of AI. I do, I could see it being dope, like, let's say if you need a choir for a song. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But these are miscellaneous voices. Yeah. Not Prince's voice, not Michael's voice. Right. You know, if you just needed something like that, I could see AI being beneficial for that. Mm-hmm. Because how many people can get to a choir? Exactly. But um, I think that when it comes to taking the voices of famous people, or taking the voice of anybody that is, you know, a notable figure in music, I think that that's whack. And I don't think that that should be allowed. I think that people's voices, they need to start putting copyrights and there needs to be legalities around it. Of course, you can't stop it, right? It's going to be out there. I'm sure people are going to torrent AIs and all of that thing. But we do need to say that this is not what we're going to support, you know? Yeah. And and I, I don't support having, using Big's voice and then just saying whatever in Biggie's voice. You know how many jokes and how many disrespectful things and, you know, all this stuff in this type of world would be said? Yeah. With that person's voice, like that's just disrespecting the dead. You put you digging this guy up and using his voice for whatever the fuck you want to do. Like, I I don't really I, that just doesn't feel good. To yeah, me. Uh, it's yeah. very surreal, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yo, bro, I think about that shit all the time, bro. I'll be sitting on my stoop, smoke. I'm like, yo, bro, I did not think the world was gonna be like this. <laughs> now nah, we just remember as kids watching it on TV. Yeah. It's like, yo, like this is, you know, around the corner. Oh yeah. Um, and then um, piggybacking off that to end to end the episode. With AI and like all this other technology, looking on the brighter side, how do you think that affects music ownership and uh, partnerships with labels? Because now artists can, they can do everything themselves. There's an AI that can help you produce, there's an AI that can do this and that. You could do, um, I'll mention his name, like Tory Lanez did, he made like an NFT of his album. So it's only, as long as you have the key, only you have access to the album. Mm-hmm. And he sold, you know, I think like 100,000 copies for a dollar each. But that all goes to him. No cuts to nobody, no cuts to the NR, no cuts to the label. No, it's 100% sovereignty ownership. Yeah. So, in general, with the new technology coming out, um, 
how do you feel artists will benefit from it? Yeah, well, you know, I want to say this too, like with artists that are looking to release music now, to, to the point that you're making, there, there needs to be more independent entrepreneurship from artists. And I think that we need that because... The labels need you more. You, the, the labels need us more than we need them. And then you also got to understand, look at, there's a reason why no one's number one on Billboard. You know, these people are not... Eight times out of ten, the most talented person you know is not signed. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's fucked up, you know? And I think that a lot of artists need to start creating that groundwork. We're in the day and age where a lot of people need to be multifaceted and business is going to be something that you need to take a bit more seriously. You know what I'm saying? If you wanted to build in this era, in this generation, bro, like you, you if, if you can, to Tory Lane's point, he sold 100,000. If you know 100 people and you're selling an album for $20, that's $2,000. You know 100 people. You know how much streams you need? to make $2,000 on streaming, way more than 100 people. You know what I'm saying? Way more than 100 people. Like a million streams yeah. like just like a thousand yeah. or something. And, and I feel like a lot of people may not be looking into the business and so they're just seeing like what's the trend and what's the trend right now? Oh, I got a song. I'm going to release it on DSPs. That to people makes them feel like they're relevant and that they're serious artists. That's the bare minimum. You, you feel me? Exactly. And that's the bare minimum. And I think that people need to start realizing that and if we start taking this entrepreneurship into our hands, like you got to think about how hip hop was when it was in Russell Simmons' hands, when it was in Puff's hands, when it was in Dre's hands. You know what I'm saying? When these people had the culture, the culture was representative in a particular type of way. Now we're in a space where they're not going to give you that platform. And so these artists don't get time to make the platform themselves. So yeah, it may be a little bit more groundwork, but I think that with this new technology and the, and the access that we have to direct to consumer as people with, you know, providing this service of music, we need to start really capitalizing on that. And we would actually be surprised at one, how much money that you make and then how you're also able to leverage that power that you have in conversations with a potential label, if that's what you want to do. But I think that that's the middle ground for the people that didn't break through yet, but are not here at the bottom yet. If you're somewhere in this middle space, Start looking into selling your shit independently and, you know, collaborating and, and, you know, reaching out to people that are like-minded and start just setting a price on what you do. You got to look at it. You've been making all this music and you, the price that has been set for you is 0. 0.0043 cents a listen. That is the price that has been set for you. Set a price for yourself and start pushing it. Beautiful <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to wrap it up here. I, I let Pablo usually, he usually does the, the closing remarks, so I'll let him do that. But I just want to say before we go, you you have very strong opinions. Like, you, you seem like you think about this stuff a lot. I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no, I just want to say thank you for coming. And um, yeah, you're very, you're very well spoken. You're very introspective. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just can't wait to hear all of the stuff you have coming out soon. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. So do you sing on the outro or something like that? Uh, no, I, d- I definitely wanted to copy what Cozy said. You know, sorry, Kayende. We'll, we'll cut that out. That's fine. Um, you know, appreciate you for coming on the pod. We'll definitely have you on, you know, I want to say a year from now, at the minimum, see where your growth has gone. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a personal contact. It's not like, you know, someone we don't really know. Yeah. Um, any shout-outs that you have? Yeah, um, I want to give a big shout-out to Rat. A uh, big shout-out to Mego. Big shout out to Lilo and Fleece. 
Big shout out to G, to Coolio, to Mikey, to Nug, to Larry. Uh, big shout out to my sisters, Kelsey, Bria, Madison, Justin. You know, I got a list of people who I always want to show love. But shout out to all the people that are in my corner. That's my tribe that have been uplifting me on this journey. You know, I appreciate you. To the extended people that are just out there supporting me and what I got going on, you know, that shit keeps me going. So thank you. All right. Um, and then two, two last things. Who are your biggest listeners outside the U.S.? Japan. Shout out Japan. And um, I want to say it's the U.K. Oh, that, that makes sense. Isn't it? Yeah. In shout out to the brubs out there. Yeah, shout out to all the brubs out there. And then, all my guys on the south side, G. And then, and then you know, uh, playing to your point about um, the business side of things. Um, when's the, when's the, the label assistance house opening for you? Helping these new artists, you know? handle the business side of things and kind of become sovereign with their own, with their own. Uh, I, I think when I'm able to lead by example, yeah, <laughs> you know, like right. I have some dope stuff in theory. Yeah. I have gotten further, mm-hmm. but um, I would want to have executed it successfully in my career and then be able to, to pay it forward. All right, sounds good. All right, one year from today, uh, <laughs> everyone's listening. Ready to first. All right, this has been the Culture Connectors episode three with, with uh, 914's own Nico Brim. <laughs> Pablo out, Cayende out. Shout out Manny, Yamoa, 35mm on IG for all your photography and filming needs. Yes, sir. Uh, shout out um, Couch Steelers for all your anime discussions, debates, etc. It's my cousin's podcast. Um, yeah, that's it. Peace.